So the question is this, how do most agents succeed in today's competitive real estate market when all the successful agents are keeping the secrets to themselves? So that's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. I interview agents from all over the world. I ask them their tactics, and they share all of their secrets with me so we can give them to the world. I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars listeners, this is Aaron Amuchastegui, and today is one of those special podcasts where we go back and we take a few minutes of all the podcasts that we've done over the last couple months, have you listen to them, and see if there's any that you should go back and listen to because you missed it the first time. But today is just the best of June. So the ones we're doing today are the podcasts that came out in June, and I think you're really, really going to like it. In 30 to 40 minutes, you're going to get a bunch of tactical ideas from a bunch of different interviewees that we had on the show. And then you'll get to see who you might want to go back and get more from. So first episode, this is episode 1149, the family board meeting with Jim Shields. This was a great interview. He's a good friend of mine. I met him a long, long time ago. He really inspired me with the way I live my life, but he built his incredible life through real estate. Here's a few minutes of that one. So you've you've said 18 summers a couple times, but you haven't got to tell our readers what that means to you, what that concept is. Um, and the first time you told it to us, it changed our life. And so I'll share, share that part for after, but like, so when you're saying 18 summers, what does that mean? Why do you say 18 summers? Well, that was the same way. I just passed it along. I passed it to you and it hit you the same way it hit me, Aaron. I had a mentor. It was actually a speaking coach who I was preparing some of my first family talks. And, uh, and he said, man, this is so important what you're doing. He, He was fit as a fiddle in his seventies. Um, you know, speaking hall of fame. And he said, you know, my daughters are still my daughters, Jim, but they're grown now. He's like, do those first 18 summers, right? You got to make the most of those first 18 summers. They'll keep coming back for more. They'll never regret it. And, uh, and for me, it was like a, it, it was like a, an elevation and a punch to the gut. Cause for me at that time, and now we have five kids ranging from one to 20, you know, but I had my two adopted sons and they were seven and five. And when you start to do that math equation, Aaron, I'm like, holy shit, wait, 11 summers. That's all I have left. That's all I have left till, you know, they fly the coop. And, you know, there was a study done that the average person will spend 85% of the quality time they ever have with their children by the end of the 18th summer. And that makes sense. I mean, when, when you look at the time you're spending with your oldest daughter to your, to your youngest child is very different now because they're in different stages of life. Um, and so that hit me. And it was a positive motivation. And I can be on stage still and share that. And you see the math equation going on in people's heads. Oh my gosh, I only have three summers left. And and what I feel is, you know, and people argue and say, oh, there's more than 18 summers. Great. But I'm telling you, you do the first 18 right, they'll come back for more. There's a stronger camaraderie. It's a positive math equation. And so we changed the name of our company uh, to 18 Summers because it had such an impact. And I always want people doing that math equation. Um, because, uh, even after the 18th summer, you're like, I did it right. And uh, there's no guarantee, but I can see now with my two oldest, they're coming back for more. They still like to hang out with us, which is one of the biggest compliments. I think we all want as parents. That's the hope, right? We want them to, to, we want them to not need us, but want us. We want them to come back because they want to hang out with us. We want to prepare their, prepare them for life where they don't need us anymore. Right. That yep. we have set them up in a place where they can survive without us, without our help. So they don't need us, but they actually want us. They want to call and check in or they want to come be a part of those trips because it's fun uh, instead. And like what a uh, 
you know, with, with how tough life is and how crazy life is just in general with economies and things like that. And the people that are out there, you think about like what a dramatic impact the world can have, you know, if parents are treating kids like this, if friends are treating friends like this, you know, as, as we try to go out and make a change, I think the change that you're making uh, in the world is fantastic. So, and we heard, I remember the first time I heard that 18 summers, we started doing the math and my kids were young. And now I get to say, all right, we've got three summers left with Maddie, right? My oldest and the, you know, and Brax is seven. And yeah, in theory, we have a lot more than that because that's the goal. But the, I know that I saw my parents a lot less after I turned 18 than I did. You know, I saw them fewer times from the time I was 18 to now than I saw in my 17th and 18th year, you know? And so we took it even more extreme from like the concept because the summer concept is going like hey you're you know during the year most kids are going to school you've got these things you're going to create all those family experiences at spring break or during the summer and we were starting to question school at the time and then at the same time we were like questioning questioning school and the education system and my dad had just died and we were putting this value on like life is short and we heard that 18 summers concept and we were like you know what we need to we got 18 years with these kids before they want to do more. And we, how many years do we have left? So that was part of like, Hey, we're going to pull them out of school. We're going to start teaching them the things that we think they need to learn about life. We're going to teach them the math. That's where our five hour school week book came from was that idea that we're going to, we're going to teach them in five hours a week. But the selfish trade-off was so we could go travel the world with them and have all these experiences with them while they were too young to say no, because it was that same thing of the 18 summers that hit us. And it was just like, life is short. Time is limited. All right, remember, if you like that one, go back and listen to the rest of episode 1149 with Jim Shields. Next up, episode 1150, what to do when real estate transactions are down with Courtney Atkinson. You know, this one is really special because last year when I had to step away from the podcast for a few few months while my daughter was going through a bunch of medical treatments, Courtney Atkinson was one of the guys that stepped up and did a lot of guest interviews for me. So this was really a chance for me to get get him back on the show, interview him, give him props and thank you. And it was just a really, really fun conversation. Here's a few minutes of that one. You know, a question that I've often asked myself, Aaron, is, you know, who do I need to be today to deserve the kind of life that I'm trying to build for me and my family and the people that I serve? And as I've asked that as a guiding question, the roadmap has become ever increasingly clear. You know, I need to be a person who manages emotions, I need to be a person who manages his finances, come, you know, great markets and bad markets. I need to be the kind of person who's prepared to grow through difficult times uh, and who's prepared to look inwardly uh, for change rather than outwardly. You know, I have the ultimate control. It's within me. It's about me. It's about how I show up and and what I do and how I am is going to impact all that. And by virtue of my work and your work, we have the ability to impact so many others. It's a responsibility at a certain point, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I need to add that to my whiteboard, the, the, like the idea of who do I need to be today to be the person who deserves the life that I'm planning or the life that I want or the business that I want. There's a lot of extras you can put on that, mm-hmm. but that who do I need to be today could help with decisions of like the alarm goes off and you're like, should I get out of bed or not? It's like, who do I need to be today right. to have that life? that I wanted or when it's making decisions of what we're eating or whether we're getting the exercise in or whether we're like making the call or like doing the outbound dialing or like doing the prospecting or like learning a new skill to help our business. Like who do I need to be? If I want my story to be, you know, the start of 2023, what's hard 
Right. But by the end of it, I redefined my systems. I cut my costs. We, you know, we got everything going where we started growing again in the right direction. And we know when the real estate market spigot opens, we're going to be at the top of our market share. Mm-hmm. So you go like, so if that's what I want, if that's my journey, what's my daily, who do I need to be today mm-hmm. to have that be my story for later? Because if we don't do the prospecting now, or we don't, you know, get our skills together now, if we don't do the stuff now to try to grow market share, then when the spigot does open up again and volume doubles or triples again, cause it will, it always does. Right. Um, you know, the, you gotta be ready for it to actually grow. And I think if you're not, then it becomes really easy to kind of like, take a deep breath at that time and kind of sit down and and take months and months to get off that because you've been under all this pressure, stress, and anxiety during the tough times that when things turn, you don't get into it as quickly as you needed to because now you're just feeling the sense of relief. And my choice is that I, as as we said earlier, you know, I choose to look at these things like they're happening for me good or bad, you know, like I don't have a lot of judgment around that. I know categorically, you know, what people would say and, and how I might, um, you know, look at, you know, losing everything as, as being bad. But, you know, if we look back, Aaron, you know, you and I've been through some things. I can't think of anything that I wished away. Like I, I wouldn't wish any of it away, not the worst stuff. Like it's all given me the strength to navigate difficult times. It's given me stories to share with others. I think it's made me a better person. And so if this is meant to be one of those times, like why would I wish away some of my greatest growth potential, right? Like it just doesn't seem like a very wise thing to do. Instead, like I want to choose to embrace that, right? I remember if you like that one, go back and listen to the rest of 1150 with Courtney Atkinson. Next up, here's a few few minutes of episode 1151, how to generate real estate leads with Brandon Greenplate. What advice would you give somebody that's a newer agent that wants to become an investment agent, right? So the idea of like posting on bigger pockets forums for free advertising, I think is great. Um, but the, so somebody coming into a market now, they're moving to an area that's a lot of, you know, vacation rentals. How should they be getting those leads? How should they start to make a name for themselves? I get that Zillow leads is, is great for so much stuff, but if you're trying to market yourself as that, are, are potential investors just going through Zillow normally or what's the, what's the way to go? So you want to catch these people before they get to Zillow, right? So one thing that, you know, in the investment niche is, people are chewing for information, right? I mean, they're trying to learn as much, and it's almost information overload by the time they come on board and they're surfing the internet to look for this information. So for a new agent, I would say, come up with your message, right? What's your message? So what I do is, you know, it's vacation in your investment. And um, I hit them with like a, I do some Google ads and some Facebook ads that kind of all come together. And I, I hit them with this Venn diagram, right? And it says, what kind of buyer are you? One side of the Venn diagram says lifestyle. One side of the Venn diagram says investment. And then the overlap says combo, right? So it just starts to spike people's initial thoughts of, hmm, I can vacation in my investment. I can be an investment and it can be, you know, so find your message and then, um, you know, generate that right traffic by hiring and surrounding yourself with somebody that knows what they're doing in that space and ultimately catch these people before they get to Zillow, right? The name of the game is speed. The second I get on a call, like somebody registers on my website, I will pick up the phone immediately and I will reach out and I'll say exactly this. Hi, my name is Brandon Greenplate. I saw you recently registered on my website. Um, I just wanted to introduce myself and see how I can add value to your investment search and then shut up, right? And then nine times out of 10, they'll just spill all the beans. um, And I'm adding as much value as I can on that initial call, you know, going through all the different things they should be thinking about and then have a good follow-up drip campaign 
combination of drip and follow up after that um, because it's important to, you know, one first impression, right? Get them before they get to Zillow from Google ads or Google or Facebook. I mean, Zillow is great too. Don't get me wrong, but I find those leads like a phone call on Zillow costs about $400 down here in this market on Hilton Ed. Expensive, right? It does return on its investment, but these ads I'm getting online, each leads about 20 bucks. So it's just, um, don't go pay the big boy. You can maybe split it up a little bit, but you want to be driving your own leads to your own site that has your own branding and your, you know, your thoughts as far as your philosophies go with how you do it, what you do and spend time on the front end because again, people are chewing for this information. All right. And if you want to go listen to, to the, the rest of that one, remember that's 1151, how to generate real estate leads with Brandon Greenplate. He was one of the 30 under 30 real, realtor.com honorees. Next up, here's a few minutes of episode 1152, the perfect real estate listing presentation with Jordan Cohen. Now, this was such a fun, fun interview. Uh, Shelby Johnson and I were both interviewing uh, Jordan. And then we had some technical difficulties where Shelby couldn't see me anymore. And she finished uh, the podcast and the interview. And it was really, really fascinating. So much good stuff in there. Here's a few minutes of episode 1152. I am so curious. Is what is the percent? What does the, the commission look like on these million bajillion ha dollar houses? Uh, well, I'm very proud that I'm not a discount agent. If you give a great presentation and you're a great realtor, you don't need to be a discount agent. I sure. talk about commission at the very end. If they're even, even, even if I'm asked, sometimes I'm not even asked, but if I'm asked at the end, uh, yeah. I want them to hear everything that I do for them. So sure. it's, I know I'm going to have more strength in negotiating my commission, but the average commission for me is 5%. If I represent both sides, it's four, but it's how you present that. Okay. Gotcha. So, and that's, now, is that three for you two for the buyer's agent? Nope. 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 Two and a half oh. and two and a half. And, um, but oh, that's my, average I can't. Oh yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> Math okay. is hard. Yeah. So that, that's my average commission would be, uh, 5%, but it's even that's difficult sometimes, like not difficult, but you have to present that. I'll, I'll give you that language. Cause, uh, Aaron had said earlier to try to give things that people can take away right away. Right. So one of the things that I get asked a lot is how do I protect my commission at any sure. price point? So I'll, I'll kind of give you, if you're okay with that, I'll give you like how I say it. You want, you want me? Okay. So I'll say, if I give a great presentation, remember my goal is to have them need me, not want me. Big difference. Have them want me, but actually feel like, hey man, we need this guy to get our price or more. Notice I'm not saying fair market value. Everybody wants more than fair market value. So I yeah. always say, I'll say that right to their face. I go, I'm not going to be like the fair market guy. I, I want to get your price or more, right? I'm always wow. trying to think, again, try to think a little bit ahead. So can you guys hear me right now? I don't know if yeah. I lost you guys. You're okay, good. cool. Yeah, you're good. So, okay. So I'll say, so if I'm asked at the end, oh, Jordan, man, amazing. Thank you. You're going to put my home here. You're going to do this. You're going to do the social media. You're going to do the print. You're going to do wow, wow, wow. And man, you... You're sharp and polished. We, we want to hire you. By the way, Jordan, I have to ask you this. What's the commission? So at that point, how you answer that will determine what your commission is going to be. On the edge of my seat. Yes. Yeah, well, if you say at that point, <laughs> well, well, the commission's negotiable, you're going to negotiate it. Yeah. I'm just telling you. If you, if you uh, say it without a lot of confidence, you're going to be discounting. You're going to be kicking it. So the way I like sure. to say it is I say, and the tonality is very important here. So what I say is I say, Mr. That's a great question. I don't blame you for asking. I would do the same thing. I want them to feel comfortable 
the ask and not be embarrassed to ask. I'll say, but Mr. Seller, the commission structures this and I'll, and I'll say it the way I say it. I say the commission is 5%, 2.5% to the buyer's agent and then 2.5% to me, which is what I earn. And then if I represent both sides, which I do all the time, I'm happy to adjust to 4%. You save money, I make a bonus, we're both happy. So it's real important the way I said that. I say 5% really quickly. I want them to hear it, listen to it, but I want them to really hear the 2.5%. So I'll say 5%, 2.5% to me, I mean 5%, 2.5% to the buyer's agent, 2.5% mm -hmm. to me. I want them to really listen to that two and a half, because it's easier to uh, swallow that versus yeah, five. Than a five. Uh, so yeah. We're talking a $5 million home now. You know, right. I'm doing I the math over here. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yep. And then, then at the end, I'll say, however, Mr. Seller, if I represent both sides, which I do all the time, which I do do all the time, by the way, I'm happy to bring it to 4%. You save money. I make a bonus. We both win. And then my goal is to have them say, wow, that's great. Thank you for that. I hope you do sell it yourself. So you might ask, why do I even go from five to four? It's to protect my two and a half. I like to end my little speech with save, save money. Yeah. I make a bonus. We're both, we both win. Then it's pretty hard to start getting into my two and a half at that point. All right, remember, if you if you want to go listen to the rest of that one, it's 1152, the perfect real estate listing presentation with Jordan Cohen. Next up, here's a few minutes of episode 1153, Ready, Aim, Fire, Take Action on Real, real Estate with Deval Patel. So Deval's also one of the 30 under 30 honorees, but this was such a fascinating interview where Shelby Johnson and I, we went through and we got to interview him, and he had so many tips and tactics and techniques, especially about you know, joining a big team in a big office and how they're able to keep agents. You know, this is really, really fascinating interview. Here's a few minutes of that one. So what's something that like now that you've been an, an agent for like th you know, three years, three and a half years, mm -hmm. how many deals have you done? What's like the average price point of that? And what's something now you wish you would have known when you first started? Deals, I mean, what? Roughly 60, uh, you know, in the last three years. What do I wish I had known it's not easy. <laughs> I think AGTV and, you know, a lot of uh, shows make real estate sound like, you know, you just get your license and it's uh, it's going to be raining money. It's a grind, just like any other career. You, you really have to be diligent and have a clear focus goal in terms of what you want and, and putting in the time to, to get results. Um, I, I know 2021, when it really uh, was, was laser focused, I, I was waking up at you know, 4.45, 5 a.m. and be at the office, uh, getting an hour workout in, be at the office at 6.30, have some time to to really plan the day and starting hitting the phones at 8.30 and uh, grinding away. And I'd probably leave around 7, 7.30 at night, but uh, it paid off. But I think that first year in particular, it's essential to put in your dues. So that way down the road, if you decide to, to transition to different avenues of real estate, you have the foundation, you know what you're doing. And if you decide to, to pivot, you're going to be fine. Hey listeners, Aaron here. I just want to tell you about something I'm super, super excited about. You know, a couple months ago, I had a bunch of people in my office in Austin and I taught what I called my foreclosure masterclass. It was to teach investors how to make money with the stressed real estate investing through foreclosures and other sorts of leads that are out there of people that are desperate to sell or need to sell and maybe they don't even know it yet. 
and that process. Well, we had so much fun when people, everyone came to the office. So many people said they wanted to do it again. I recorded the class. It's now live and available for purchase. So if you're interested in learning about becoming an investor, learning about becoming an investor agent, being able to educate yourself uh, some more around foreclosures, about distressed real estate, and how to get those, go to theforeclosuremasterclass.com, theforeclosuremasterclass.com. All right, back to the podcast. All right. So let's see now, as your go- what are your goals for next year? It's a good question. I, I think I'm looking to transition into the investing side of real estate and also dive into commercial. So I've got a lot of people that I've met through various networking events that are looking to buy large multifamily properties. And I, I think it's, it's a very interesting asset class. I'm also taking... I'm participating in a real estate investing course right now, going over fundamentals of wholesale flipping and investing. So I think that's a fascinating avenue that I'm, I'm really, really curious to explore. Yeah. Yeah. I think with, with so many of us, I know, I know Shelby can speak to it. That's like half the, half the stuff people talk about in the mastermind yeah. is, you know, us expanding from being people expanding from being agents, right. To also being agent slash investors, agent slash like owning real estate. Cause being an agent, working as an agent is great. It's like that first step to wealth. Like having an income is the first step to wealth. But as you become an expert in real estate, there's no better person than to be able to start doing investments, whether it's flips or rentals or wholesaling, you know, at our, you know, at our first mastermind a couple of years ago, a couple of the guys introduced it as they said, if you're an agent and you're not also, you know, wholesaling or doing these other things. It's like you're working just for tips. All right, remember, if you want to go listen to the rest of that one, it's episode 1153, Ready, Aim, Fire with Devel Patel. All right, next up, here's a few minutes of episode 1154, going all in on real estate with Brittany Kosev. So I would say like what, so there's, I guess I have two different questions. When it comes to people that are working, doing real estate on the side, what advice would you give give to them to help them succeed in real estate, you know, if they're like, no, no matter what, I'm not going to quit my other job for six months because I'm scared. So then what advice do you give them on how they could still succeed in real estate, you know, not losing the clients, like, cause there's all these, these challenges that they're going to have. How should they overcome those challenges as they grow their real estate book? Yeah, I think that part of the, the mindset, like I said, is, is integral. My favorite book is You're a Badass by Jen Sincero. Um, she talks a lot about that, your mindset. I think that when you are working two jobs like that, you've got to get up before everybody in the house. I think that's key. It's critical. Or you have to stay up extra late after everybody's in bed. For me, I'm an early riser. I get up around 4.45 every morning and I I do my thing in the morning before the kids need to get up. Uh, And I think that's really important, especially if you are working another job. Are you staying up late, busting stuff out? Are you getting up early? And then I think having a couple of months bills saved up is really important just for that confidence and security because I can say, and, and I will say this, I respect the people that are doing it and and not just diving in full time. I understand the fear and I understand that, that it's, it's scary. Um, my sister included, uh, I, I totally respect that. I just wish that someone told me, Hey, if you're already doing this, imagine what it would be like if you had 40 extra hours a week, and 40 extra hours of energy, imagine how much further you could go. So I think having some setting aside quiet time in the morning and the evening where you can really focus on that second job 
and then putting a few months of savings behind the belt. And then the third thing is just believe, have full faith, full, just believe in yourself, affirmations, whatever it is that you do, pray, write it down, journal, tell yourself, you got it. (laughs) Yeah. I love, so I love that at the beginning because yes, you're like, so you were making $40,000, even your very first year, you made $40,000 doing it on the side while doing the other one. And at that moment, you should have been able to tell yourself or you see yourself like, wow, if I can do that, just working between 4 a.m. and 7 and between like 4 and 6 when the kids are on, on the bus, like if I can do it with that, imagine if I went all in on this thing. And then, so your first year that you did go all in, what was your transition? Cause I guess it was kind of like, once you were making enough money, you finally said like, okay, I don't need my other job at all anymore because now, now my income is like my library and income plus my second year of real estate. So now I can't say, say no to it anymore. Yeah. So that year, 2021, um, I was teaching full time and selling real estate. I made 80,000 in real estate, 60,000 as a teacher. And I just was like, come on, Brittany, just do it. It was scary though, right? I I lost health insurance. I have these two kids that still need to eat every day, three times a day they need to eat. It's ridiculous. And so it was, it was scary, but I just did it. And so 2022, I made, I mean, it blows my mind. Actually, I I made $500,000 last year. And that was my first like full year of just being on my own. And and then this year, you know, I started the brokerage and team and I can't wait to see what happens. That's, that is so amazing, Brittany. And it's so amazing. Like, like probably one of the things that you would have told yourself when you, that you wish you'd have known at the beginning was it is possible not just to succeed, but like, like to flourish, to have this amazing, that's an amazing income. That's an amazing income that five years ago, you could have never dreamed of that 10 years ago, you could have never dreamed of most people listening in their first year real estate could never dream of. And so that idea of knowing like, no, it is possible and it is more possible when you go all in and you do the work. All right, if you wanna go hear more about how Brittany went from making $60,000 as a teacher to over half a million dollars a year as a full-time real estate agent within just a couple years, you're gonna wanna go listen to the rest of that one again. Remember, it's episode 1154. Next up, here's a few minutes of State of the Market 92. You know, Greg Schwartz was one of the former you know, president at Zillow. And Greg and I, you know, we got into real estate around the same time. We had a bunch of fascinating, fascinating stories. The, the reason we turned this into a State of the Market is because it just became this awesome conversation where we talked so much about real estate, about inspiration, about what's happening in the market, what they're doing to change the market. So here's a few minutes of that one. Hey, real estate forever and ever is a pretty pretty simple business, whether it's going to go up or down. It's about jobs. Do people feel safe? Do they have income? Mm-hmm. And it's about inventory availability, supply, demand. And so we actually have a pretty bright future ahead of us. Even with a, a confused economy coming through all we've, we've come through, the issue if you hear on Wall Street is the jobs numbers are still really good. Yeah. Uh, so people are employed. Income is still strong. And then the other thing here is what are we pressed by? Inventory availability, right? If you go in any real estate community, every, any agent, any lender, all you hear about is, hey, when stuff hits the market, it's gone in 30 days if it's decently priced. Yeah. Historically fast. So what we do here is still in great demand. People want to build their lives, not in a rental home or a big tall tower. They want to own and have the dream and put holes in the walls. 
we're just not building enough homes. And you know this because you did it. You know, we're still six, seven, eight million homes underbuilt for our current population. And that's why prices are sky high. So, hey, we're going through a little blip here or a, a drop here, um, which makes sense. But first time home buyers don't have interest rate lock in. Yeah. Right. They've got high rent. So they still want to get in this market. And we still have a huge amount of demand. Uh, for what we do. So this is a great opportunity. And I think the big innovative companies of their day come in times like this. You know, Zillow came out of really accelerated 0708. Yeah. Um, the last company. Google came out of a, a declining economy as well. You see these trends um, on these really big, innovative, valuable companies. People try new things when times are stressed. When times are great, who had the time? Yeah. So real estate teams, brokerage brands. Oh my God, it's the most creative time, probably in my career in real estate, uh, in the brokerage and team business. And and then on, on the mortgage side of the business, what, what Tomo does for a living, folks need a better, less expensive, more predictable way to get them in a house. And agents are willing to try new things because they have to execute to perfection. And so I think we're going to see some really interesting companies emerge and winners. Hey, real estate rock stars. We only have a few minutes left in this episode, but before we get to the grand finale, I just wanted to say, as always, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You know, podcasts are obviously free. You don't have to pay to listen to the podcast, but if you could pay one thing, if I could charge you one thing to listen to this podcast, what I would ask you to do is go, please make a review. Go to wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's on YouTube or on Apple or Android, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go give me a review of the podcast. I read them. I listen to them. I try to make adjustments. You know, a couple of years ago, I had a ton of bad reviews on the sound quality or the number of advertisements, things like that, and I've really tried to dial in to add value for all of you guys. So please, please, please go do a review. If you want to get a, a copy of the toolbox, of the stuff that you know, everybody that comes on the show, they give us some tactics. They give us something that we put in what we call our toolbox. And so to get that, you go to realestaterockstarsnetwork.com. When you get there, click on the, the toolbox and you get access to the free gift that every person that we interview on the episode provides. There's things like, you know, uh, listing tactics, how to do a presentation, you know, how to do a newsletter, all sorts of cool, fun stuff. And if you want to talk to me, go find me on Instagram at Aaron Amuchastegui. Ask me a question. I talked to so many of you guys on there. All right. Back to the show. Thanks again for being a listener. You're so right about the, the like the crazy times and and what we're going to see next. And it's about the people that can analyze like what is the market, where is the opportunity. And you know, I built one of my biggest businesses in 2009 when I got laid off from the home builder. Right when we got put out of business, and it was like had to discover courthouse step auctions. At a time when I tell people, like I was the third person buying courthouse step auctions in, in wow. Sacramento, California, one of the hotbeds. And I was the first person to do it at scale. I was the first person to say like, hey, if I ran this like a home builder and I bought 30 houses a month and had customer service teams, like I built, I, I was I was the first, right? In that area. Now there was pl plenty of cities where there were other first, but it was like created this industry um, at a time when if I hadn't gotten fired, if I hadn't gotten laid off, if, if everything hadn't shut down, I would have never done it. I would still be like a, a production manager at a, at a home building, you know, company. 
And, you know, you talked about first-time homebuyers right now. That's the big thing we've been telling everybody is the first-time homebuyers don't know what they could have afforded before. They don't know what they missed out on by not having 3% or 4% rates. And so the people that can find that market or that opportunity, how do you serve them? You know, I just read a stat that it was, um, I think traditionally we had 14 or 15% of houses every year were, you know, new homes. It's something like that within a, a couple of blips because I'm rereading it. And now it's like 30% of the sales that are happening are like new homes, you know, because, because people are locked in. They're not selling. The only supply that's happening is from builders, but it's still underbuilt. And the people that figure out how to deliver, you know, lots of new inventory to those first time home buyers or those first time move ups, we're going to get to kind of continue to see that. All right. Remember, if you like that one, go listen to the rest of my interview with Greg Schwartz. He's fascinating, fascinating guy. Stay the market 92. All right. And last but not least, here's episode 1156. What you don't need to learn in real estate school with Cheyenne McGriff. Here's a few minutes of that one. I think it's really cool that you did 12 dual in 2020. And mm-hmm. I know there, there are agents out there who are actually like, you know, scared of representing both sides. So how did those, how did you come to represent both sides? And I don't know, any obstacles you had to overcome from that? Yes, that's a really good question. So I live in a small town, like I said, so a few of those were listings that I had in my community. So I always have buyers looking in my little community and I often get listings here as well because I live and work here. And that just is, that's what happened many times was it was a listing I had and I knew a buyer or they came to me because they knew me and that worked out. I would say that you want to be very careful if you're doing, if you're helping both the buyer and seller, anytime you do it, make sure you cover all of your bases, make sure you explain how it works up front in really detailed information and writing to both sides so they understand because I, the most, the most issues I see come up with helping both the buyer and seller aren't even in the negotiation process. Most of the time it comes up in the home inspection, truly, is when I see them the primary issues come up. And it's it can be difficult to navigate. I have done it several times. I know some people won't touch it, um, but I just try at all times to be as transparent as I possibly can in every single transaction so that people know what's coming up there. I'd like to avoid surprises, even though that's nearly impossible in real estate, but as much as I can to make sure each party feels like they know everything going into a transaction that works out that way. Totally. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's awesome. 12 is 12 is crazy. I don't think I've heard 12 on that volume. That's like what 30 something percent, right? Of 30. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's a huge percentage looking at it. Um, yeah. I, as long as you're an ethical agent though, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to mess it up as long as you disclose. And I think that's right. kind of where it goes wrong, right? People don't not always disclose what's going on. Yeah. yeah so many people don't, so many people don't understand when they're buying or selling real estate because we do it every day. They kind of forget, oh, I need to kind of explain the implications of this and I can't give right. away too much information. Right. And I always give them the option up front. If it's a buyer that comes to me, I represent the seller. I, we can do it this way, but if you want to have another buyer's agent represent you, I absolutely support that because I want them to feel comfortable. Totally. Yeah, that's a Crush. super powerful one. Oh, sorry, yeah. Shelby. Oh no, dude, I'll just fight you. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> um, no, I was curious about the, did, did that change anything on the commission side with the seller or did you keep it at whatever percentage you had agreed with before? 
Um, so when it comes to it, commission questions, I'll probably just say it's just negotiable between all my clients. Gotcha. That's smart. The, diplomatic. The, 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 bro the, bro the broker in me was my, my, the broker in me. My red light was going right away. I was like, careful you answer this. That was perfect. Oh, that was dear. awesome. I, I love asking those questions though, because, you know, I think about the people who are listening and like, they're like, oh, I want to do that. But like, I feel like this is their chance to get the real life examples, but I totally understand the diplomatic side of, of it as well. So cool. <laughs> yeah, you have in our MLS you have to disclose I I'm, I think it's it's national but you have to disclose variable commission rate. So you have to say, "Hey, if we represent on our side, we'll reduce mm -hmm. that commission." And um I will not point any fingers or say any names, but I do know of agents <laughs> that may or may not have flirted with that line and I would not touch that personally. You got to be super careful with it. So yeah, you have to be yep. transparent yep, up front, right? That. Yep, that's what we have to put that in our our MLS as well. And that's that's really my biggest thing is just being open, being transparent with my clients and other agents. I just that's how you avoid problems is you address things up front and even if there are questions later you can say, well, as per this conversation or as per this email I sent you, you know, just so you have it in in writing. The paper trail. Oh my god, yes. Been a lifesaver a million times. All right, and if you like that one, remember, go listen to the rest of episode 1156 with Cheyenne McGriff. And that's a wrap. You know, we're mid-July right now. We wanted to do this as a little bit of a throwback, remind you guys of some of the good episodes that we had in June in case there's any that you missed or maybe you're new to the podcast and now you need to go back and do some catching up. So hopefully that helped you get there. And you know, the year is halfway over. So as you relook at what your goals were in January, now you can try to see what you can accomplish, what you need to adjust, and what you need to maybe you know put your foot on the gas to catch up on. It's so easy at the beginning of the year to fall up on our goals and fall up on the steps that make things happen. And if you're like me, it's a lot tougher to get motivation mid-year, especially when stuff is just kind of slow, it's just kind of funky. You know, sales prices are still strong, but you know, making things happen, just the, the, the deals aren't happening as fast. It's tougher to get leads. It's tougher to get, get offers accepted. It's tougher to turn listings into pendings. You know, it's all happening. Real estate is transacting. You know, prices overall have been stable, um, you know, and volume is down, but now volume is kind of leveled off at what it's going to be. So I hope that the rest of your year, you guys really put your foot on the gas. Remember, if you got any value out of today's episode, I really, really would appreciate it if you would share it uh, with a friend. All right, Real Estate Rockstars, thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.